Welcome to the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast. I'm the Heavy Metal Strength Coach. And today I am joined by Carolyn Garrett, who is a central London-based personal trainer, a cancer exercise specialist, and author of Get Your Oomph Back, a guide to exercise after cancer diagnosis. Carolyn, how are you doing? Hi, I'm all right. How are you? I'm really well. My son just started to uh, have a little paddy that his um, lunch was over, so mum's just downstairs giving him a little bit more food. Um, he's got his dad's appetite, which is good fun. <laughs> and um, I am a. Fa- I'm, I didn't think to tell you already. Listeners can try and spot the difference in the accents because I'm a South Yorkshire lass rather than a West Yorkshire lad, but I similarly have a Yorkshire-based appetite. <laughs> <laughs> Whereabouts in Yorkshire are you from? Doncaster, originally. Ah, small <laughs> world, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if we could, first of all, just get into your history as a personal trainer and how you got into the industry, and then we'll go from there. Okay. So it's, um, it's not the most obvious route, to be honest, Chris. I worked in the NHS for 20 years originally I worked just by chance you know I took a an office job when I was in my 20s but I worked in cancer in cancer screening first and then um, in generally in cancer services I was never clinical I used to manage services and uh, I was always interested in cancer prevention and then what started to become much more well known is what they call survivorship and about what happens to people who've had a cancer diagnosis and this is all quite relatively new because although obviously sadly many people don't make it through cancer the number of people who have cancer is growing but as is the number of people who survive it and so it started to become apparent that although you get through the treatment and you survive touch wood there's a legacy that goes with the side effects normally from the treatment rather than the cancer so I got interested in that And what started to emerge was how helpful exercise can be once you've had a cancer diagnosis. And, um, oh, I got to my early 40s, had a bit of a career think. (laughs) Didn't want, I didn't didn't really want my own job anymore. And I knew I didn't want my boss's job. And um, I just decided a little bit of thinking, read a couple of books, had some career coaching. And I decided to go off to personal trainer school. What would I have been? 42, 43 and went to the YMCA and first of all did the gym instructor course and I I didn't know if I'd like it I thought if anything I'll come out of this just knowing how to use a gym better I've never been a particular gym bunny but I've always been active but I had this idea that I could work in some kind of level at some kind of level with people who've had who'd had cancer at the time I was going to college my mum had breast cancer so uh, actually, as my, um, you'll know this, you know, when you have to write a training program for somebody as your exam, I did it for my mum. And we did, we did, I did the training. I did mine when I qualified as a personal trainer. The training program that I did um, was for my mum as well. And that, that was in like 2008, something like that. And I remember us going down to the school, <laughs> walking up and down, doing one of the fitness tests and things like yeah. that. Anyway, I digress. 
no it, but it's it's nice when you can actually do it and make it human rather than it just being an exercise and i'm glad your mum did it my mum did it too uh, and we did race for life together with my little sister at donny race course <laughs> and uh, it was brilliant it was such a it was a big thing and that just spurred me on so i uh finished working in the nhs i've been self-employed ever since and uh, then i went from being a gym instructor you know i did the qualifications up to the, there are now level four exams for personal trainers in several diseases you know it's cardiac and there's one for stroke obesity and for a few years now there's been one for cancer and i adore my job i haven't looked back i love it i find it um exceptionally rewarding something that i will talk about is that often coaches will find their speciality over time and um, they'll start by training the general population and then they'll they'll try one area like that so much other clients just don't arrive was yours the other way then did you start in a speciality and just yeah. run with it that's Completely. i just wanted to say a few things about that that's really fascinating it was just it just struck me as something that could be done and uh, as i say i was having a bit of a think about what i wanted to do uh career coaching I only, you know, I only had a handful of sessions, but that just made me think differently about how I wanted to spend my working day. And, you know, they get you to think very carefully about what your life, not just your job, but what your life would be like if you had a different career. And that got me thinking. And then I just asked around because I was, I was lucky, you know, I knew loads of clinical nurse specialists. I knew all sorts of people that were working in cancer. And I knew that this evidence base was coming up, was emerging. And I need to talk to you about that because... You need to know, I think trainers need to know the importance of exercise for people who've had cancer. And uh, I just asked around, you know, there was a nurse I knew who worked at the Marsden. There was a nurse I knew who ran the Maggie's Centre in West London. And I'd come across them in my existing working life. And I remember sitting there going, I think I'm going to be like a personal trainer, but just for people with cancer. Do you think that could be a job? And they went, yeah, it really seriously could be a job. <laughs> and uh, it went from there. And so I get asked to do talks sometimes. I do courses for a couple of charities that are normally for people who've finished treatment. And it's all about how you get on with life after. And there's very often an exercise component in that. And because I kept being asked for the sheet, you know, the handout sheet, <laughs> I wrote it up. And then I did one for men with prostate cancer and I wrote that up. And then I had... I, I did a, a master's degree. I didn't go to college when I was younger. I did a master's degree in my late 30s. And uh, one of the things that emerged from that was that I liked writing. And uh, we kind of mutually agreed that I didn't have the depth to do a PhD, but that the way I write, people find interesting and they'll read it. And so I'd had this little, again, a little inkling in terms of what I wanted to do. I'd had this little inkling at the back of my head that maybe in some capacity I could write as part of my job and so I decided to write a book and I faffed about and procrastinated like a good one <laughs> and uh, then I turned it into a blog so that I could do it in bite-sized chunks and I told people about it so they could so that they could go you know have you written a blog post yet then Carolyn and I could go well no but I will <laughs> and uh, that became a little body of work and then I approached a publisher with a view to turning that into uh, a book. That is a really fascinating passage that you just um, 
went into and it made me just think of um, the first session that I did with um, one of my clients who has ongoing breast cancer and that first so to give you a brief history of Vicky I trained her many years ago somewhere around like 2014 to 2016 um, in boot camps and things like that and this was way before her diagnosis then I moved gyms and um, she was just training by herself and like it, the relationship became distant because we weren't working together as um, client and trainer and then I saw on Facebook that she had her diagnosis that it was far worse than she anticipated and then she stopped training and then a couple of years later I got a message saying um Chris look I want to get into training um, I want to start lifting again I want to do this I want to drop a little bit of weight and we got a booked in and we did an assessment not an assessment a consultation over the phone um, and then we started training from there and I remember putting her on the treadmill for the first time just being absolutely terrified that I was going to do a hell of a lot of damage and that she wouldn't be able to do anything and she very quickly proved me wrong. I wonder if your experience with cancer cancer patients, survivors, people that are going through that treatment has not been people that need wrapping in cotton wool that they can make progress has been something that's been very important to your career and should PTs be afraid of training people with cancer? They should definitely not be afraid. Definitely. If you think how common cancer is, uh, for anybody born after 1960, there's a one in two chance that you'll get it. So if half the population runs the risk of getting the disease, then we can't ignore half the population. So the curveball in my story is just as I was finishing writing the book and just at the start of lockdown, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So <laughs> I don't know if you picked that up in the stuff, but uh, yeah. So what it meant was that I had to take my own advice, Chris. <laughs> How hard was that? <laughs> it's not easy. So I already, you know, you talk about empowerment and it can sound really cheesy, but it's dead important, particularly people who, who teach strength. You know, it's a really empowering thing. And teaching strength is, men I find, mentally empowering as well as physically. So why would we not be supporting people who've been through massive vulnerability and felt crap for however many weeks or months or even years it takes to get through the treatment? We need to be able to support them. I mean, there's... So in answer to your question about cotton wool, um, people need empathy not sympathy but they do need empathy and they need uh understanding i find they never need bullying and the um you know people are quite intimidated by pts and they think they're gonna they think they're not gonna be allowed to stop and one of the things i always try to impress on people is that they can absolutely stop if we're training together one-to-one -one or in a group it's their time they're paying me it's for them you know and I always ask them to be really assertive with me, because if I suggest something that they don't want to do or that they feel isn't right for them, then they've got to tell me and they've got to feel all right to tell me. And that might just be that they really hate lunges. You know? <laughs> it doesn't have to be. <laughs> it's fair play. I you know? hate lunges as well. I'm glad I'm not the only one. 
you know, I'll still get you to do them, but I'll charm you into it. False senses. Yeah, but exactly. So what that does, if I can, uh, so one of the biggies, and I don't know whether your lady experienced it, chances are she will have done, is fatigue and cancer treatment. Each of the different modalities of cancer treatment leaves you tired to one degree or another. So, and people have had to learn to be protective with their energy. And the last thing you want is for them to train with you and then spend the next 48 hours regretting it. <clears throat> but the thing that I really find, and I've always found, is that once I set those boundaries and say, of course you can stop. If you're feeling rubbish, we can have a gentle session. If you don't like it, that's fine. Sense of humor failure, we forget it, it's, it's absolutely fine. And just that level of reassurance um, and uh, almost a, a power shift seems to be enough and so I was with it I do loads of Nordic walking it's so different to the kind of stuff you teach but it's it's all after the same aim this is walking with poles okay for anybody who hasn't had a sense of it it's very much like the difference between a treadmill and a cross trainer where you use your arms you use your shoulders uh through the poles to assist the legs and I met a lady who was 74 uh, I met, she wasn't 74 on Monday. I met her on Monday. She's a 74 year old, just been diagnosed. Sorry, no, just got through treatment, dead reticent. Didn't know if she was going to be able to get through it. She has lung cancer, which uh, leaves you breathless, and the treatment can leave you feeling unable to breathe. You know, your shoulders start, your, your chest, the shoulder, uh, muscles around your chest and your shoulders can become a bit concave because you get this protective posture, of course. Anyway, by the time. I've been able to say to her, it's fine. You do as much as you'd like. And if 10 minutes into this, you don't like it, it's fine. We can quit. Uh, I don't know how well you know London, but Parliament Hill is this massive. Uh, it's the, I don't think it's the longest, but it's the steepest hill in London. And obviously she went up that, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> because she knew, you know, as I say, you just relax a bit and think, it's okay, I can be in control of this, but actually I might actually be able to get up Parliament Hill. And bless her, she did. Something <laughs> um, that I often work with um, as a personal trainer is when someone's been to a physiotherapist, an osteopath, whatever therapist um, occupation you want to go with, and they've told them that they've got some kind of muscle imbalance and that hamstrings their ability to train and that is just someone that said you've got a difference in your strength left to right or upper to lower and that gets in the way of their training that can that has stopped numerous people from training due to fear and when someone gets a, a cancer diagnosis that must be magnified by I don't know how many but how does that affect exercise adherence um, how does that affect someone's confidence towards training and hugely. what can we do to help with that hugely hugely and lots of in lots of different ways so it's easy to think surgically you know if you have an operation then it's going to affect how you move often and, and your strength so very typically you know if i think of the big cancers first breast cancer is the most common cancer in women and i'm gonna to have to check myself now uh, i know this is a an audio thing that goes out but visually I know that what happened to me and that has happened to loads of the women that I've worked with is this and 
on the affected side, your shoulder rotates in. And also I'm right-handed, my cancer was on the left-hand side. So even though I knew all this, obviously I stopped reaching with the left arm, I reached with the right. And you decommission your affected side. Um, that could happen loads of different ways, but certainly around a surgical scar, people, if you've already got, you know, just the difference in strength for dominant side compared to non-dominant side, it's going to be there. And so what, certainly in my field, what we tend to do is look at range of motion first. So, you know, to be able to do that and that equally. <laughs> and uh, and that you say that that's been... Um... A big issue for me and Vicky to be able to do um, that overhead on one yeah. side fine, and then on the other yeah. side each time there's very fine, often a kind of lateral raise or whatever bookcase in the way but very often it will look like that <laughs> and then then there's a lead into it to bring the affected arm up um, and as I say that you see that in lung cancer around flexibility in the chest wall if you think of the men who've had prostate cancer uh, so my assumption is that your gyms are more male than female oh that's I need to check that out but the, the, the I the hope I'm wrong but you know I need to check it is a good sign yeah but classically so when the fellas who've had prostate cancer treatment that they don't talk about women talk about breast cancer treatment much more than the men are comfortable to talk about prostate treatment so any radiation to the pelvic area so that's prostate cancer and gynecological ones is going to it can lead to swelling in the lower limbs it can lead to tenderness it can lead to a massive loss of strength because again you don't do things to um to move yourself uh, in prostate and gyne cancers there's a lot of and again don't want to talk about it i talk about it as a personal trainer uh pelvic floor same in uh, to some degree uh depending on what you've had done around colorectal bowel cancers your core training has to become you know pelvic floor has to be within your core training which it ought to be for all adults anyway because incontinence is way more common than everybody owns up to but for, so for the guys doing pro, who've had prostate cancer, uh, any movements where the knee comes up towards the chest can squash the bladder. And even if they have worked on their pelvic floor and they're feeling all right about it, this kind of squash can just leave you anxious that you might have a little leak. And that anxiety can be off-putting, let alone, you know, the actual eventuality. Similarly, anything around bowel cancer What's to think? I'm on a drum on a hormone drug that makes me forget words, so you just have to bear with me. Oh, <laughs> the Valsalva. So if you've so for people who've had bowel cancer, colorectal cancer, and anybody who has a stoma, so like a, a, a colostomy or that kind of bag, which can be to do with the prost prostate and kidney related stuff as well as bowel. You have to avoid that. You have to avoid things that were gonna really spike the blood pressure so i'm giving you loads of detailed things but what i'd say more than anything is that there are going to be considerations around anybody who's had cancer treatment going into exercise particularly if they're going to do strength training and i can't tell you how important strength training is for people who've had breast um, who've had a cancer diagnosis but it's just a matter of working out how we can dance around those and and you know Obviously, there are people like me who do 
if you like, we can be the front line and we can help people first train their core muscles when they've got a colostomy bag. But the whole idea would be that then in time they come to you and general gyms or specific gyms where they want to lift, knowing they've learned how to regain their strength and that they can carry on to be what we classically call normal population. You know, that's the goal. Yeah, it's about having um, open dialogue with your with your clients being able to have a discussion to be able to have um, a back and forth and them knowing that they're in charge not the personal trainer the personal trainer is employed by yeah the <laughs> and they are the driver of the ship and if you can give them that confidence to say yeah. actually chris i'm so fatigued today mm. i don't even want to do stretches because i don't want to get off the sofa i want to have a nap yeah. when it's uh, you know our 12 o'clock session time and being and having that empowerment that they can mm. they can have ownership of their fatigue they can have ownership yeah. of their training i think that autonomy is just wonderful to yeah. promote and just before we go on i just wonder if you could talk about the difference between primary and secondary cancers um that is that is really weird because i just made a note to to talk to you about stage four because when you talk about trainers being afraid so if you imagine, so primary cancer is, is a cancer that arrives in a single place. So in my, in my example, it was breast cancer and it hadn't spread. So it's just in one place. It was removed by surgery. Sometimes it might be shrunk by chemotherapy first, but it's taken away. And there are checks to make to see whether it has spread. So in the case of breast cancer they go into your armpit look at your lymph nodes and there's something that we used to talk about training through lymph surgery but they look to see whether it is spread and sometimes it's spread a little bit so it might have gone into a lymph node but no further that would be depending on how you're looking at it i'm no medic but stage two stage three and then you have what's called stage four cancer which is where it has spread to another organ altogether. Secondaries is another term for it. Advanced cancer is another term for it. So for me, the things that I'm looking out for, uh, sometimes breast cancer can return, can pop up again. It's, there's a bit of a head game in terms of managing your own risk for the rest of your life, but it can pop up again, sometimes in places nearby. So we look for liver, you know, we, we check, we, we're taught how to look for um, symptoms of it coming back or it having gone somewhere else. Uh, but the idea is with secondary cancer that it is somewhere else as well as the original site. And when you have that scenario, if it is a secondary cancer from a primary, then it's generally deemed incurable. You can often treat it at the time, but that, that person is going to have cancer for the rest of their lives uh, once they're diagnosed with stage four. And I've obviously you can you know unfortunately with cancer we have to talk about dying and when you go through a diagnosis you have to face up to your own mortality um fewer people do die of cancer than they used to but people still do but people live with cancer so the term that's used is living with and beyond cancer I'm living beyond cancer because mine has gone if you're living with cancer it's not, and sometimes people use there's an old fashioned term in remission very similar stuff but the idea is that your cancer is dormant it's not doing anything at the moment but it hasn't specifically gone away it will pop up again 
and you will be on treatment for the rest of your life. I know people who have been stage four for 10 years, 15 years. I did meet somebody who had been stage four for 18 years and she's still alive and kicking and she's all right. Sometimes it's much more cruel than that. You know, cancer is a complete bastard and everybody knows that. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't care who it picks on, doesn't care how it behaves. <laughs> I loved how you phrased that. I'm sorry for laughing. <laughs> but yeah, so you, you asked me about when trainers are afraid and loads of people are afraid to exercise or to provide exercise for people who have stage four cancer. And it is more risky without any doubt uh, particularly if if you think uh, if it's in your bones then I remember reading one oh god it terrified me uh, one report a case study of somebody who had, she'd been on one of the seated gym equipment I can't remember what it was I don't think it was uh, a leg press but it was something like that and she'd managed to break a rib because she had cancer in her rib it must have involved a twist so when secondary cancer is in the bones, we make very special arrangements. Not special, loaded word, isn't it? We make different arrangements for what you do. But still, it's manageable, you know. So you avoid contact sports unless you're willing to take the risk, personally, of because you're at greater risk of fracture. Uh, likewise, you, you avoid <clears throat> real big bend of the back and really sharp twists. But if you exercise with stage four cancer, you can help slow it down. You can help lengthen your own life um, and you can feel better. And the thing that people so often miss in the academic papers that you know very well and that I know is that exercising can make you feel better on the day. And if you're living with a catastrophic diagnosis, then why the hell wouldn't you be getting your endorphin hit however you want to do it you know it's really important some of the hospices now hospices have started to build gyms in <laughs> oh my god that's amazing <laughs> in it uh there are a couple of hospices that have got swimming pools um and it's because it's so valuable you know it can help exercising when you've got stage four can help you manage pain now all the things all the benefits that exercise has generally completely applies to people who have advanced cancer who have a terminal diagnosis even uh, it's just that people are understandably afraid, but it's doable. So often um, in my writing, in my podcast, I talk about training beginners at any age. And to use an example, if someone starts training age, let's say 42, the chances are they've been in the same job for a number of years. They haven't made progress um, in anything, in a, in a big way anyway, for a long time. And I talk about that whole process of remembering that progress is possible and for someone to come into the gym with um, a brutal bastard of a diagnosis and still be able to get personal bests to improve their times to walk up parliament hill must just be such oh. a must be something that's absolutely huge to realize that yeah. that progress still is possible at, at any stage of treatment yeah it is it's I mean, from my perspective, from a training perspective, it is so deeply rewarding, you know, it's often quite moving, but it is, of course, it's human, it's the human condition, isn't it? And it's not like everything stops because you've got a diagnosis. It's just that you might have to cut your cloth differently for some, you know, especially around the tiredness, but uh, yeah, well, it's lovely. <laughs> so the thing I've just been doing, uh, I started a 12 week 
weight training course for women who've had breast cancer. Actually, I didn't advertise it just for women. I'd have happily taken some fellas if they'd have come, but uh, none so far. But this is weight, not because very often resistance bands get into the equation and stuff. But I very specifically wanted to do weight training. And we're doing deadlifts and we're doing clean and jerk and we're doing stuff that you would approve of, sir. <laughs> they, they start little. Obviously, everybody has progressed in some way from start. We've just done week well, actually, we've just done week 12, but I had to skip a week because I had COVID. So we're going to do a, an additional week next week. But we've just gone through together. We've done this training and everybody is lifting heavier than she started with. They're all doing doing it more than once a week. So we meet once a week. They're doing it in the middle. And uh, no touch wood, no uh, problems with symptoms coming back, no problems with tiredness that's attributed to the, to the training all stronger all enjoying it all smiling and it's just it's the best you know it's lovely <laughs> how many times have you um run that course is this a new thing yeah i started it um i i was i hadn't really done much online before the pandemic you know many people didn't and during the pandemic i did some zoom stuff that was gentle and i just to be honest so that took a little bit of bravery uh on my part and the the women doing it because I specifically wanted to do weight training. Um, one of the things in terms of the evidence emerging around cancer and exercise. So it's been known for a while that if regardless of what goes on in your life before a diagnosis, if you take all those different factors out, but from diagnosis, people that are able to exercise after a cancer diagnosis, we reduce the risk of it coming back significantly. For people who have stage four, we can slow it down. And all of the side effects of treatment, all of the major side effects of treatment, to one degree or another, are benefited if you're able to be active. And that kind of knowledge has been known for a while. But what's really starting to emerge is around strength training. And so strength training, I don't know if you've got parallels with other clients, Chris, but strength training alone has been shown specifically to reduce cancer-related fatigue. And it is also thought that strength training alone can reduce the risk of it coming back and can reduce the risk of us dying of cancer. Simple as. So the strength, as I say, the strength training is becoming very strong in terms of knowledge, my knowledge as a trainer in terms of what I should be doing. So I decided to do weight training online like you do. <laughs> and it's cool. It's really cool. Uh, I started with breast cancer partly because it's what I know best and also this doesn't sound cynical, but I thought women would do it. And I know there's a gap in terms of, you know, whether trainers will do strength training with women after breast cancer. My intention is to do stuff specifically for men who've had prostate cancer, again, with a view to it being a stepping stone to getting them to do strength training either alone or in a, in a broader gym. But uh, it's, it's say, knowing... Knowing its impact on how you feel generally and how you hold yourself and confidence and all these other things, and also knowing how strength training can impact on our lives, you know, literally our, our the length of our lives, uh, it just, just makes it too important to not. When you're looking um, at programming um, a 12-week course of weight training for, for many people, are there any... Let's talking specifically about breast cancer. Are there any exercises that are off limits or anything that you wouldn't put into a training program right from the off 
Um, okay. As a general rule across the population, so I, I might be bench press, I don't know. So plank is highly controversial because it's, so we have this, this thing that goes on in the armpits actually starts to become really important because every, every woman who goes, more or less, every woman who goes through breast cancer surgery has some lymph nodes removed from the armpit to see whether there's any cancer in them. And for some, it's just a little operation. For me, I got off lightly. It was just a little biopsy. They took the most significant lymph node out and looked at it under a microscope. We weren't worried. Some women have all the lymph node removed from their armpits. And the other thing that we tend to lose, I had a mastectomy uh, without reconstruction. So I literally have a little bit less pectoral muscle on the surgery side. So in terms of my the strength and my ability to, re, you know, in terms of, the amount of resistance I could take on my surgery side. Um, there is a worry over the plank, you know, over a, a long held isometric hold. But <laughs> where, say, 20 years ago, roughly, the advice given to women who'd had their lymph nodes removed was to lift nothing heavier than two pounds for life. You can't, you know, you can't. So my first online client, another northerner, uh, she got in touch. She heard me do a speech, uh, a talk thingy, and she said, "This is all very well. You're doing classes and stuff and personal training." She, but she said, "I'm a sheep farmer in Derbyshire, <laughs> so I can't do your classes. And also, I've got to be able to lift hay bales and stuff, and you know, lift animals." And I was like, "Well, yeah, that's fair play, you know." So there was there's an amazing woman called Catherine. I always mispronounce her name, Catherine Schwitz. She used to be the chair of the ACSM and she did a study specifically on weightlifting, lifting, not, you know, messing about doing bicep curls, weightlifting for women who'd had breast cancer. And she proved the principle that weightlifting didn't increase their risk of complications from having the lymph nodes out. And it, that was pivotal. You know, it just that changed things. And then we've been able to do other stuff. So. For me, how I did the course was I took, I'm really old school. The exercises that we learned as gym instructors are basically what we're doing. We're doing an overhead shoulder press. We're doing a chest press. We're doing squats. We are doing lunges. <laughs> and then some stuff around, specifically around the shoulders. So some lap pull downs. And I'd never know what it's called. You might be able to tell me to take weights and do that. That's um, really important. <laughs> external shoulder rotations. There, there you right. go. We're doing external shoulder rotation. And some stuff that's really about the intricacies of the, the shoulder, the pecs, and the, the muscles right into the ribs. But other than that, we simply did old school weight training uh, with really light weights. Um, I nagged them about posture. Um, we've done stuff deliberately single arm so that we can get a get used to, you know, show surgery side versus non. There's a couple of women on the course who've had double mastectomies, so, you know, complications. And we avoided something. So uh, we started triceps was just a little, do we call it a kickback? I, yep. I never go in gyms. And do you know what? They're all doing uh, tricep dips by now. Amazing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> They've done brilliantly. Uh, I would not have started off doing tricep dips several weeks ago. And we've checked in every week to make sure that, that, you know, they were looking for swelling in the hands, swelling in the armpit, that kind of thing, or just any discomfort. 
and actually any emotional or you know mental discomfort if they're not happy to go further then that's fine you know uh not going to push them but uh, yeah the tricep dip is a good one we're all doing press-ups we started against a wall then we did it as a box press-up we started doing eccentric press-ups just to see how that felt and most of us are now doing it still on our knees but with the hips coming forward rather than with our calves with our shins flat on the floor so mm -hmm. nice progress for let's say 12 weeks i'm really pleased with how they've done uh, they've labeled themselves <laughs> they've given themselves a name <laughs> they're the big strong lasses you know what that's that's amazing <laughs> and that's a really really good point i was listening to an unrelated podcast run by a guy called Andrew Coates and he's talking to someone that specializes in training older adults and they're very specifically referred to as older adults rather than elderly um, oh, yeah. or old people. I wonder like what do cancer patients want to be referred to as when um, oh. they're <laughs> referred to like and have you ever made like the mistake of um, saying something that I don't know maybe isn't is empowering than they've called you out on it. To be honest, I've probably been in the trade long enough to know to be cautious. Loads of people don't like the term survivor. Uh, it's often seen as a bit of an American thing. Um, and some people find it a bit, I've heard thriver, which again, might be cheesy. Some people like it. And the thing that people don't like, and you hear it all the time, is the whole thing about the battle and how particularly when someone dies, and the thing that's written is that so-and-so lost their battle with cancer. And it's that is the thing that gets most people's goat. Because, you know, I'm only here and fine. A little bit of self-management, but broadly, I found it early and I, had, I could have access to treatment that worked. For, you know, a different roll of the dice, I might have had a drug that didn't work. And when people die from cancer, it's because the treatment hasn't worked. They haven't been able to find a treatment that works or they couldn't access the treatment that works. And so to put it on their shoulders has lost their battle, even though it's often meant to imply that they tried and, you know, that they were feisty through this and, you know, this kind of thing. But, yeah, the battle thing is what gets... Yeah, almost ties into making it like willpower, doesn't it? Like, oh, well, yeah. they lost it, so maybe they didn't yeah. try hard enough, you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's not stopping smoking, you know, this is different. you can do that's fascinating. That is really, really fascinating. Now, um, with treatment, there is um, before treatment, there's during, and there is after. Is strength training appropriate for all three of those stages? And are they involved in the training with you? Sorry, I, I missed you on the last part of that question, Chris. Sorry, when, um, when they're training on, for example, that 12-week course, have you got people at all stages of treatment as well? Yeah. Yeah. So... There has emerged this term prehab. The idea is that uh, in between diagnosis and your active treatment starting, that you could, what you could do at that point. And there has been some brilliant work in the NHS, particularly in Greater Manchester, around what you can do for people at that point. And that has emerged as really important. You heard it here first. I'm sure that is going to get funded as an NHS service, even though the NHS is crippled financially because it pays for itself. Um, what they've been doing, it's really clever. Within, I think it's within 12 hours, it's certainly within the day of getting your diagnosis, you have three things. You're referred to an exercise specialist, you're referred to a nutritional specialist, and you're referred to somebody who can help you with your mental health. And those three combine 
to give you a program and it's not all obviously the, the psychological stuff may well be but it's not all individual treatment it's sometimes in a group which in itself means that you've got some buddies who are in the same boat as you suddenly they train they do this program called prehab and it has been shown to reduce how long people stay in hospital to reduce whether they have to come back into hospital in terms of what pe people would say they feel it is helping people enormously to cope psychologically as well as physiologically with the the chaos around your first diagnosis and you know what people are saying again empowerment it's something that you can take hold of and that you can do prior to treatment and even if it's just for a handful of weeks unfortunately at the moment waiting times are going through the roof so people will be waiting longer than they were doing two or three years ago for their treatment to start so it's a time that you can invest in yourself and do some stuff again without putting too much pressure on people because there's all this stuff but um so i have and i did my own prehab i was so lucky you know i knew this so i wrote myself a little a, a slightly adjusted training program when i was getting ready for my surgery so pre definitely and as a trainer if you had somebody who was just going through it then basically whatever they love <laughs> is the plan <laughs> whatever they're going to be doing. you know i did some stuff around was i going to be able to lift myself out of the bath was i going to be able to because when you first come out of uh, certainly when I first came out of my surgery the kettle felt a bit too heavy so I did some stuff about how I was going to move but broadly stuff that's going to just help you keep your head together is what we do then during treatment thought to be a no-no for a long time there have been trials there was a trial where they put an exercise bike into a chemo suite so people had the drug going in intravenously while they're on the bike it helps you metabolize the drugs better it helps the drugs work you know the the, the the evidence around exercise and cancer is extraordinary chris it's 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 being thought of as like a fourth element of treatment because it's so powerful and yet at the same time it's so doable and you know in so many ways so yes during treatment definitely there are some things you know you have to be careful around wounds very close to surgery you have to be careful around skin very close to radiotherapy it can become very inflamed and so just moving can be uncomfortable uh, for people who are having chemo over a long period of time intravenous chemo they sometimes have a pick line which is a a needle going at the state a little cannula that stays in the arm but then see i've got i was doing a exercise class with somebody yesterday who has a pick line in and she can't so a chest fly would be a bit of a daft idea <laughs> Uh, and anything that really, really moves her, you know, where you have to really use the elbow so that it's going to play up too much with kind of lower deltoids into the biceps. But you can get round it. There's always a way around it. And then after treatment, tiredness is normally the thing to come to terms with. But as soon as people feel ready, if they can exercise as soon as their treatment is finished, they will help. It will help tiredness to go you it sounds counterintuitive but it does long-term treatment it's cool to exercise and it helps helps your head into the terminal phase helps your head helps ease the pain there's no point other to say other than when there's a specific injury that you just have to wait to to go there's no point after a cancer diagnosis that exercise doesn't help i wonder if you'd say a few words about how you would recommend people adjust training around their treatment cycle and 
what we mean by saying a treatment cycle and the effects that it has on training? So very often chemo is given three weekly. And for that, what I've done is to really, there'll be weight training examples that you'll know much better than me, but I can compare it to marathon training where you very often have a heavy week, a medium week and a, re and a, and a recovery week. And we've done stuff around that so that people don't go into their chemo tired. They have a gentle week. People are on chemo, right? People are often given steroids and it makes you feel frantic. <laughs> Doesn't always help. <laughs> but broadly, you let the, you, you, you know, you, a few days post chemo, you can do stuff around your flexibility. You can do stuff around outdoor exercise, some mental health stuff, definitely. And then in terms of strength training, I would have a medium week and then a week where you push yourself, but br bring it back in, dial it down in the day or two before treatment so that you're not starting tired. I've um, done that a few times with people. People on weekly chemo, to be frank, you feel rubbish almost all of the time. So you just have to accept that that is going to be how it is for a period of time. Good days, bad days. There is a view that during chemotherapy, you can retain muscular strength, but you can't necessarily increase it. I've never measured it specifically. I can accept that as someone else's findings, but I find that people, you know, the thing about confidence with straight training, which I think is different to actual muscular strength, where people think, yeah, I know how to, yeah, muscle memory. I know how to do this so I can do a couple more. And I do see that within cycles, radiotherapy tends to be daily for a short period of time, a week, two weeks, three weeks. And for that, um, again, I would probably during radiotherapy go for looking at your, you know, doing some stuff on flexibility, maybe on balance and some light, probably continuous cardio, but uh, to accept the ebb and flow of life and that, you know, it doesn't always have to be about training hard. It can be around recovery days and active daily living and stuff like that. With um, with Vicky, it seems to work in, um, I think it's either a three-week or a four-week cycle. I've gone um, momentarily blank. But um, she has a heavy treatment week. There's always some medication being taken, but there is a heavy training week where, uh, sorry, treatment week where we will focus on doing sessions that are 30 minutes rather than 60 or 40 minutes if she's feeling particularly good. Um, we'll just do what she fancies. We'll do some stretching. We'll do some gentle mobilisation stuff. We might walk around a little bit. We might just kick a kettlebell. I'm not, sure. I'm not too worried because it'll break your foot, but anyway. Um, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll keep that habit there. We'll, we'll, and that's why it's so. I think it is so important to, to at least go near the equipment that you normally use just to maintain those habits that's as important for mm. for this population as it is for everyone and um, to feel normal you know to to so one of the one of the bees i've had in my bonnet is around constraints and i i as i say i got off really lightly in terms of cancer treatment i didn't need chemo which is such a biggie um so my limitations are less a lot less than many face but i just got this bee in the bonnet that i'm not willing to be constrained by what i've had which is why my strength training so i do all the things we're not supposed to do <laughs> but i've i've worked so i plank 
but I started, I went back to it elevated, long arms, on my knees, all that, all the different adjustments. And um, I think because I wanted to get that back, I went running very soon after surgery, sooner than the guidelines say I should, because that is my, it's what I do. I love running. I needed my normal back and it was as much to do with coping mentally and emotionally. And I could imagine for your lady, like you say, if the gym is, if your lifting gym is where she feels comfortable, happy, sassy, badass, all of it, whatever it is that ticks her box, then she needs to be there, doesn't she? And just work out. It's not, it's, I think some people think it's more of a compromise. You know, athletes have to train differently when they're injured and they have to train differently for, you know, if they're doing some kind of periodization training or something like that. And it's exactly the same. It's the same for, for Vicky, you know, it's just being smart and training differently for the for the situation. It doesn't have to feel, as I say, too compromised, too victim-y because, you know, it's, it's just doing it differently for now because you need to. Yeah, um, and that, that's exactly how we um, approach her training. And we know the further away she gets from that heavy treatment week, the better mm. she's going to feel. So there'll be a particular like um, Goldilocks zone where we might go for a PB on um, her deadlift. So we might do some strong woman stuff where we can lift a 20 kilo ball um, onto a huge box that hurts her She sounds fab. <laughs> so the way that I think about training her this isn't I'm not sure how accurate this actually plays out but I write out her sessions and purposefully just forget that she has any kind of illness um, in any way and we'll just go by her feedback so we're not always training under this big looming thing that she has that she has cancer we're, we're going to focus on making progress we're going to focus on big lifts we're going to focus on getting fitter and, and having great form and to anyone else that looks over to her in the gym like yeah we're not going to be able to tell um that she has anything like that and I think a lot of people who are going through cancer that have, that have been through it that have it on the horizon need to know that other people can't tell and mm. that they're, they're not going to stick out like a, a sore thumb in a gym, for example, or training yeah. in a park, or even just training in their own home and people can kind of see in. Mm. They are people first. And I think that's such an important distinction to make. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Definitely. And they, I can't believe like what time it is already. I think <laughs> we can talk about this for, for hours and hours yeah. and hours and hours. And I feel like I haven't dedicated enough time to talk about your book so first of all let's go with where people can find your book who it's aimed at um, and what they're going to get from it. okay uh, it's really easy to find uh it's available online all the big booksellers and kindle and it's called get your ump back and it is aimed at anybody and everybody who's had a cancer diagnosis so deliberately i do i talk about prehab I talk about exercising all the way through the cancer journey. That's another one that people hate. They call it a journey. <laughs> it's not going on holiday. <laughs> Terminology can be, you know, and it's got in it some stuff about, yeah, so some stuff about when, it's kind of when, how and what really, when we can train right through to uh, terminal training. And I tell a story, my oldest client's date was 94. I was personal trainer to a 94-year-old and uh, he, he was brill. He was really funny. 
we used to dance around his dining table. So it's, it's actually got what I what he, he and I used to do together in the book, because if you need something gentle at home, it's it's four minutes of grooving around your own dining table. I talk about side effects and specific modifications to exercise, like we're talking about with the lymph thing, lymphedema. And again, all of the keys, that the, the, the more common side effects and how they relate to cancer. There's some statistics in there about impact of cancer survival, uh, the effect that cancer can have on our well-being. And then there's a load of practical stuff. There's, uh, there's chair-based exercise, because for many, it's not again that's not as gentle as it sounds but if your mobility has been affected how you can exercise in a chair uh it's got some low impact cardio stuff that could be done as a as a an interval session if you wanted to um the stuff about how to run couch to 5ks in there and then there's a whole stack of strength training and in that i only use body weight and resistance bands which is to be truthful, out of caution, because I needed something that I could very simply and you know, say in a way that would, could be applicable to anybody and not run the risk of injury. So, But there's loads of strength training in there that you can then take the band out of your hand and put a weight in it, and it will take you to, to more strength stuff. And then for um, anyone that wants to find out more about your um, PT services and your training services, uh, or maybe just your social media accounts, where's the best place to find you? So I'm such a newbie. I'm a, quite a newbie to Instagram, but Instagram's getting quite a bit of attention. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And if you spell my name right, you can find me really easily. I've got a really unusual name. So my second name is G-A-R-R-I-T-T. And to be honest, if you Google Carolyn and Umph, you'll get it. <laughs> Which is cool. <laughs> yeah. All of those links are put into the notes. And uh, Carolyn, this has been an absolutely wonderful episode. I'm sure we could have spoken for three, four yeah, hours. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely love to have you on again. And I hope this is... Um, Hopefully the start of some collaboration stuff. That would be utterly amazing. So that would be yeah. quite cool. <laughs> um, Carolyn, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It Absolute been- pleasure. Thank you for asking me. And please give my best to Vicky because she sounds like an amazing lady. She's an absolute legend. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast.